You're listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Hey, thank you so much for being here. So good to have you. My name is Cam Daly. I'm the campus pastor here at Rail City Campus. And it's so fantastic to have you join us for uh, our third week of Advent. Uh, our, is this our 10th week? 12th week as a campus? Wow. Uh, and uh, time is just flying. And we, throughout our time here, we started out with a bit of a vision series, talking about some of the key values of our church. And then over these last number of weeks, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, uh, talking about our new reality in Christ. And I want to make a nod to these books just one more time here. Uh, we actually got these books printed out that have the entire sermon series mapped out for you. Uh, each week, kind of the theme or the title for the message, uh, the scripture on, on this, this right-hand side page, and, and a place to take notes on the left. And I encourage you, if you haven't got one of these, you can grab one in the connection booth. Uh, we, and uh, it's our gift to you. Uh, even if you've missed a few weeks, you can go back and read the passage in the scripture and write some personal notes. Uh, and so, yeah, so if you'd like one, actually, Rob's got some right there. You can put up your hand, uh, and uh, he would be happy to drop one off to you right now. But this week, uh, we're actually talking about chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, okay? Chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. Uh, sorry, verse 1 to 13. That's my bad. Uh, verse 1 to 13. And uh, it's really interesting. In these first few chapters, Paul has been unpacking these theological ideas, these really big ideas about who God is, about who we are, and about how Jesus changes everything, absolutely everything. And then, uh, you know, the, in between there, there was a little bit of a prayer. He said, it, you know, he, he said this prayer for the Ephesians, and he wrote it down in his letter. And he's about to burst into another prayer. How do we know this? At the beginning of the text, he says, oh, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for you Gentiles. And then all of a sudden, he stops. In fact, in my translation, there's a dot, dot, dot. It's like, uh, hey, listen, I was about to say a prayer, uh, but I actually have a few more things I want to say before I pray. He's a good pastor, right? Uh, <laughs> how many times the pastor say, you know, I think we're going to conclude our time in prayer, but before I do that, actually, I just have one more thought for you. That's kind of what Paul is doing for us today through this text. He goes on a bit of a, a tangent. He feels like he needs to answer some questions. He wants to ensure that some things are understood before he can concludes this part of his message of this letter. And so today, we're going to jump straight into it, okay? We're going to jump straight into the text, and don't worry, there's some illustrations to come. Uh, but uh, we're going to jump straight into the text, Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. And if you're willing, and if you're able, would you please stand as we read God's word? Most important words you're going to hear today. Uh, and uh, these are the words of, of Paul to the church in Ephesus. Here's what he has to say says this, when I think of all this, I guess I'll stop there. When I think of everything that I've just told you in these first two chapters, when I think of all of this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> he stops his prayer. He's about to break into prayer. Assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me this special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles, as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself has revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I've written, you'll understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to the previous generations, but now, by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. Next slide. 
And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. Both enjoy the promised blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I'm actually the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now boldly and confidently go into God's presence. So don't lose heart because of my trials. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Lord, there's a lot in this text. I pray that you would cleared up for us today. I pray that by your spirit, you would speak to us and that we would hear from you. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. God, would you speak to hearts as I speak to minds? We want to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pretty long tangent, hey? (laughs) Hey, before I pray, just one more thing. Here's some really dense theology for y'all, right? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> let me just, I'm just going to, you know, just to clarify some things, I'm going to further confuse you, right? I was laughing when I was reading that text. He's like, you know, as you've read what I've written, you'll understand my insight. I'm like, oh, yes, of course, Paul. I didn't spend 25 hours trying to understand your insight on each one of those messages, right? Like, <laughs> he used to say, oh, this is like really obvious and clear, right? And I think for many of us, as we read the Bible, and, uh, and perhaps this is why we struggle to read the Bible, if we're honest sometimes, we read through these dense sections of Scripture, and the author is writing about these mysterious and incredible things. And yet there, there's so many layers. There's history. There's context. There's the author. There's, you know, and, and they all have a different message. And so then we come to the text today, And Paul on this tangent begins to clarify things for us, some things that he wants us to know. Paul in this passage begins to unpack the mystery of God's plan. Anyone like a good mystery? Any Sherlock Holmes fans out there, right? Anyone anyone see the BBC version? It's very, very good. Uh, Any murder mystery kind of big fans out there? Anything, right? Netflix, just a murder mystery you're in. Uh, anybody, I, I know there's a few Dateline fans out there, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, I was, uh, I was scrolling through Netflix, and there's this, this, uh, this mini-series that came out called This is a Robbery. This is a Robbery, and it was about a mystery. Perhaps a mystery you heard about. Uh, it happened in, uh, on March 18th of uh, 1990 in Boston, Right, Boston, you got to say it like that. And, uh, but there was a museum, the Isabella, uh, the Isabella Stewart Museum. And it was on, on actually St. Patrick's Day. Two men impersonating police officers knock on the door of the museum, get let in, and they, 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 
they do a heist. They do a, a, a major robbery. They tie up these guys. They steal priceless pieces of art, including the, the concert by Johannes Vermeer, the Storm of Galilee uh, by, by Rembrandt, as well as other pieces of art from great artists. They actually valued the theft of more than $500 million worth of paintings. And 32 years later, and a $10 million cash reward later, there's no answers. They went down various paths. They tried to discover the mystery. They tried to figure out what, it was, what was gonna happen. But to this day, they, they, they followed all the trails and they've come up with almost nothing. They believe that everyone who is connected to this theft is, is dead <laughs> uh, or, or they've, they've taken off. They've, they've left the country. And it's crazy to think that these priceless pieces of art are just sitting in some Nona's Kachina, right? Like, you know, it's just, <laughs> right? Like, she doesn't know. She's just making, the, you know, spaghetti and meatballs. And there's, you know, the Rembrandt hanging on the wall, hanging in some guy's basement in some millionaire's private collection. It's interesting. 32 years later, they have not discovered the mystery. And I was imagining there's someone out there who must have known the master plan. There's someone out there who must have known, must know to this day who was behind it. Can you imagine that call one day the FBI gets that on the other line there's an informant that knows the answer to the mystery at hand? This is kind of what Paul is claiming. He's claiming that the secret that's been hidden for ages he claims to understand the details of the mystery. He has the information he knows the who, the what, the where, the when, the why. He knows the motivation. He, he's claiming to actually have been uh, given insight, revelation to this incredible mystery of God from the beginning of time. That, that, that he is the one who has the answers. He has come forward. He is a messenger. He has come to fill us in on the mysterious plan. Look what he says here. Assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me this special responsibility. He says, of extending grace to you Gentiles. As I wrote earlier, God himself revealed this mysterious plan to me. As, as you've read what I've written, you'll understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations. No. But now, by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles, whom Paul is one, and his prophets. He says later, I was chosen to explain to everyone the mysterious plan of God, the creator of all things, had kept, had kept secret from the beginning. Paul is coming forward and saying, I'm the guy. I have the insight. It's being revealed to me. Now, it would leave any investigator with some questions. And these are questions I want to answer for us here today. Here, here's the questions I believe that this text left me with. What is the answer to the mystery? How do we know it is true and how do we respond? What is the answer to this mystery that he is speaking of? How do we know that what he's telling is the truth? And how should we respond? Let's talk about the answer to the mystery. Paul says it quite plainly. He says this was the plan. This is how it went down. And this is who it was involved. It says, this was God's plan 
from the beginning, both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. Both enjoy the promised blessings because they belong to Jesus Christ. Mic drop. Some of you are like, what? <laughs> you like read that text, you're like, wow, okay, interesting. But to anyone who would have heard this in the first century, they, they, their minds would have been boggled. They already would have been pretty uh, upset and bothered by chapter 2, 11 to 22, which Eve preached about last week. As he began to unpack that it wasn't about outward symbols, but it, but it was actually about that God, through the cross and through his blood, were bringing together these two groups of people that greatly hated one another. They already, they, their, their feathers would have already been ruffled at this point. And Paul goes, just in case you missed it, I just want you to know, here's the answer to the mystery. The mystery is this, is that God from the beginning of time did not just want to choose one singular people, the Israelites, to be part of his family, but actually the entire world. What he said to Abraham was not just a metaphor, that they would be a blessing to the entire world, but it wouldn't just be blessing, they would actually become family. He, he is, is actually sharing something that would have been mind-bending to both the Jew and the Gentile those who were not part of Israel and the nation of Israel, there was such dislike, disgust between these two people groups, such tension, such bad blood and history. The Jews didn't spend time with such people. They believed them to be pagans and heathens and far from God and unclean and ungodly. And the Gentiles probably would have shared these feelings and believed them to be foolish and judgmental and religious and snobbish. So the idea that these two groups would share equally, that they are both God's children, that they are both part of the same body, they both get to enjoy in the promised blessings. The blessings that were promised to the Jews are now also the blessings of the Gentiles? Would have been unthinkable. I think of some modern examples of what this would have looked like to help us understand if any of you know of the troubles that happened in Northern Ireland between the Protestants and the Catholics, it would be as if these two groups were coming together and claiming peace and unity and that they were one body and one church once again. Uh, I, if you were think back to the last Winter Olympics, one of the things that shocked the world is when South Korea and North Korea came together to create one Olympic team under one flag to compete next to one another. Unthinkable. This is the equivalent of Romeo and Juliet's rival families, the Montagues and Capulets, coming together and saying, we're family now, right? It's all good. Two families, nations, peoples coming together as one. And, and the response would have been this. From, from the Jews, it would have been, no, no. That's our promises. This is our God. We've earned it. We've deserved it. From the Gentiles, I always said, yeah, and Paul, no, like, I, I, think, I, don't think, I don't think that's right. <laughs> I think you're, you're a little bit off there, all right? They've been pretty exclusive for a long time. Uh, there's been a lot of wars fought and bloodshed, and no, no we're, not, we're not family, But Paul says, this is God's plan, friends. Both the Gentiles and the Jews 
who believe the good news. That's why we're here. We're a church that is fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. And anyone and everyone, no matter who they are, no matter their history, no matter what they've done, whether they're close to God or far from God, whether they've known God their whole life, or they've been opposed to God, all are welcome. And this is what Paul is saying. That anyone who believes the good news shares equally, equally to the riches inherited by God's children. As we learned a few weeks ago, they are chosen, they are adopted, they belong. They are part of the family and I want you to know that you belong. It says both are part of the same body, community. Both enjoy the promise blessings. The blessings that were given to the Jews are now also for us. Because of why? Because they belong to Jesus Christ. Friends, you belong. You belong. We have a new identity. Even though our ancestry wouldn't have dictated that we would be included in this family. Because we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, you belong. And this would have been jarring for both groups. God is inviting them to be one. You might remember this scene um, from history. It was uh, beautifully portrayed in in the recent kind of remake or storytelling of uh, It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. It was a time when when, uh, people of African descent, blacks and whites, were still segregated. A time when racism permeated American culture. When white families would often have prejudice against people in the black community. It went so far that whites and blacks weren't allowed to swim in the same pools, drink from the same fountains, use the same bathrooms. It was atrocious. And it was in this moment in history, just months after the assassination of Martin Luther King, that Mr. Rogers, on live television, invites Officer Clemens to come and join him in the pool in the front yard to wash one another's feet. And they laughed together. And they enjoyed each other's company. To anyone who was watching in that day, it would have been unthinkable. That doesn't happen. But he was making a statement in that moment. You belong. You belong. We're family. Let's talk together. Let's walk together. Let's swim together. And all the children watching that day, it would have been a striking and beautiful image of this unity of two groups that were segregated, two groups that were far from one another, now being welcomed into the same family. This is what the Jews and the Gentiles would have thought. This is, this is unthinkable. Years later, in 1993, Officer Clemens would make his last appearance on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. In a touching moment, Mr. Rogers invites him up once again to join him at the pool in the front yard. Two friends, one black, one white, soak their feet together. And I recall Officer Clemens' final words. He said, I like being a human being right here and right now. Sadly today, Sadly today, our world desperately needs um, this message once again 
It needed in 1969. It needed in 1993. And it needs it in 2021. That there is a God who created all people and had a mysterious plan from the very beginning to bring every person of every race, of every background, no matter their history, to the table, to the same community, to belong. Two communities which were different and far from each other are now one. God was doing a new thing, creating a new people, a new humanity, not marked by outward symbols or race or bloodlines, but rather by grace and grace alone. And because of this, you belong. Jewish ancestry, Gentile, black or white, sinner or saint, Christian or non-believer, this good news, this plan is for everyone and anyone who believes. I think of another illustration. In the, if, if you recall from the, the movie Forrest Gump, Forrest gets onto the, the bus. It's his first day at school, and as he's walking down the center of the bus, even though there's spaces and room amongst the crowd, in the seats, each kid says, no, this seat's taken. No, sorry, you can't sit here. No, you're not welcome here. And one by one, he gets turned down, kid after kid after kid. And he finally gets to the back of the bus, and there's a young girl named Jenny who is sitting there. And she says, you can sit with me if you want. And it creates a lifelong friendship between the two. You have a seat here. I think of a story from World War II where there was a number of... Uh, Soldiers who were fighting in battle together and one of their comrades died in action. And they wanted to ensure that he had a proper burial. So they showed up at a French graveyard. And they said, can we bury him here? We want to make sure he has a proper burial. And the, the priest that greeted them there said, listen, I'm bound to ask you, was this man baptized as a Catholic believer? And they said, we don't know. Well, like, we're not sure. He said, well, I'm sorry he can't be buried here. And so the friends went outside of the graveyard just beyond the fence, and they buried their friend there. The next day, they, they returned to try and see if the grave was undisturbed. They wanted to mark it with a cross. And when they returned, they couldn't find the grave. They were looking everywhere for it. And suddenly, come, coming out from one of the homes, the priests came running towards him and explained, I was up all night. I was sweating. I was so ashamed that I didn't allow this man to be buried here. And so I woke up early this morning and I moved the fence. I moved the fence around his grave. This is now where he lies. He's within the cemetery. This is what God did for us. Friends, when we were, when we were not welcome when we were ostracized, he said, come sit with me. Let's sit together. Let's talk together. Let's create a new family. When there was no seat on the bus, you're unwelcome here. He said, there's a seat for you. When we were outside of the boundaries of the community, he extended the fence so that we would belong. You belong. You belong because of Christ. You are welcome here. You are welcome in the family of God. This is the good news that we believe. 
He moved the fence that separated us from God and from each other so that we could be family again. And so I want to conclude with these last thoughts. This, some of you are thinking, Cam, this sounds really great, but how do I know it's true? It's a good story, but how do I know it's true? You've been talking all these weeks, I've been chosen, I'm one, I'm, I'm, I'm now a saint, I'm blessed in Jesus Christ. How do I know, how do I know this is true? And any good investigator of a mystery would lean in and look for the facts. They say, how, how, how do I know that you're telling the truth, Paul? How do I know that this is true for me? How do, you, how do I know that I truly belong? And what I want to encourage us in this moment to consider is Paul's story. The teller of this truth, anyone would have heard this story would have believed him. In his own words, he described the various trials that he faced because of Christ. Think of in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He goes on this long grocery list of all the things that, that the author of this letter faced because of Christ. He says, I've been put in prison more often. I've been whipped times without number. I've faced death again and again. Five different times from Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people and the Jews as well as the Gentiles. And he continues. I have faced dangers in cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced dangers from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. All for the sake of Christ. And I want you to consider even in our own text. In verse 1, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. I want you to consider verse 13. As he concludes, so please don't lose heart because of my trials, the trials that I have faced. I am suffering. I am suffering for you. How do we know this is true? This message that God gave Paul came at a great cost, an incredible cost. If you, we've spoken much to Paul's story, but if you haven't heard it, Paul was once a guy named Saul. He had it all. He was Pharisees of Pharisees. He was high up within the religious ranks. He was quite affluent. He had influence. He was welcome in every synagogue and well known among the Jews. And he gave it all up for a life of suffering and trial and hardship and difficulty. Why? For the sake of you Gentiles. For the sake of bringing this message of Jesus, this good news of the grace of God to everyone and anyone who would believe or listen. How do we know this is true? Well, look what this cost the guy. Anyone who was investigating would say, surely this is a man who had a true encounter. Surely this is a man who truly believes the words that he has said. And this isn't just true of Paul. This is true of all the disciples and apostles of Jesus Christ, all except one, dying brutal deaths 
for the sake of this message. They could have returned to their day jobs. They could have moved on with their life. They could have, they could, they could have in the end said, you know, we just made it up. <laughs> Spare me. But each one, including Paul himself, died gruesome deaths, atrocious deaths, for the sake of this message. How do we know it is true? It cost Paul a great deal of pain and suffering and shipwrecks and beatings and hunger and thirst and cold nights and imprisonment to bring this message to the world, to bring this message beyond the Jewish community, to bring this message to you. It's true because... No messenger would pay that kind of price for a false message. No messenger would give it all up. Power and influence and money and all of these things for nothing. And so how should we respond? Well, I believe we should respond to this incredible plan. There's, there's, it's really twofold. There's some of you who might be here right now who've never placed your faith in Jesus. You would not count yourselves among those who believe, and so therefore right now you are outside of the family. But this message today says that through simply believing, I love what it said in verse 12. It says because we believed in Jesus Christ, we now have access to the Father, we have access. Upon simple belief, we have now have access to God and we're included in the family. Some of you who have been holding out on Christ, some of you who have not placed your faith in him, today is a moment in time through simply confessing with your, your mouth, Jesus, your Lord, and believing in your heart that you would be included in the family, that you would be included in God's mysterious plan. And I'll tell you right now, this plan was unfolded and it wasn't just for them, it was for you. It wasn't just for me, it was for us. God desperately desired that you would be included in the family. And so the first group of people here, as we consider this incredible plan of what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross and three days later rose from the dead to include us into the family, our response should be one of belief. Would we believe? And the second response, for those, who, uh, those of us who believe, I believe it's very much like Paul, we should respond with humility. Paul wasn't haughty about the fact that he got to be the bearer of this good news but rather he was humble. Look at this humility. We see it. He says, by God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news, though I am the least of all God's people. Really, Paul? The least? So I'm the least of God's, all God's people. He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. Paul gives us an example of humility that we desperately need. He could have been haughty about it. God chose me. Yeah, I'm the one. Yeah, I'm the messenger. Yeah, he gave me that secret knowledge long ago, you know. It wasn't revealed to anybody else. You, you could read it with that tone, but... When he writes here in, in these latter verses, but I'm the least deserving. 
Paul recognized that it was grace upon grace upon grace that God would even use him. It was grace upon grace upon grace that he would be included. To Paul, it's all grace. He recognizes this, and we see it throughout the text. He says, he says, by God's grace and mighty power, I've been given this privilege. He has graciously given me the privilege. He recognizes it's grace. Grace is an undeserved gift. Paul is saying it's not about anything I've done. I killed Christians. I opposed Christ. I tried to stomp out the church. But God has been so gracious to me. He has used me. I'm the least deserving of all God's people. In another place, he says, I am the chief of all sinners, of whom I am the worst. Paul had this humble outlook upon himself. He did not become proud because he was given this information and this insight into who God is and what he had done. Paul goes from best to least, from first to worst, from Saul to Paul. You know, his name before he came to Christ was Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. He was great in stature and nobility. That was his namesake. Saul was a name of a king, but then he becomes Paul. Paul literally is translated as small. <laughs> Saul became small. Saul became small when he realized how incredibly gracious God is. In essence, he says, I, small, <laughs> imprisoned, for the Lord, I'm the least of all God's people. And he learned this from Jesus. The God of the universe at Christmas became small. <laughs> he became a baby in a womb, a child in a manger, delicate and fragile, so that we could be part of the family. Saul became small to tell us that we are part of this family of God. And I wonder whether we would become small. What I mean by small is humble this Christmas. I wonder if we would humble ourselves so that we, like Paul, would recognize the incredible privilege and the incredible honor and the absolute grace it is that God would use people like you and I to share this incredible message with anyone and everyone who would listen. I wonder if you would take a step towards smallness or humility by sharing with a friend this incredible plan. I wonder if you would pay the cost, whatever it might be, whether that's social or humiliation. Say, I believe. I believe in God's plan. He wants you to be part of the family. He came and dwelt among us. I wonder you would humble yourself so that people could hear this message. That you would go to great lengths so that those outside of the fence could be included. That you might make yourself a social outcast so someone could have a seat on the bus. That you become small so that those who are far from God could come close. So that all people would know that they belong to a family. And that's what communion is. And we're moving into a time of communion, and uh, it's this incredible moment where all of God's people in the family of God 
come to a table together to eat a meal. There's bread and there's juice, a simple body. And it represents, the bread represents his body and the juice represents his blood that was shed for us on the cross. And as we come to the table, it's an act of smallness. It's an act of humility. So you say, God, I desperately need you. And without you, I wouldn't be here. So you come to the table, it's an act of humility. God, I desperately need something outside of myself. So you come to the table, it's saying, God, I need forgiveness. I need grace. I need the mercy that is only found in you. And for some of you, as you come to the table, it's an act of humility of saying, God, without you, I wouldn't belong. I need to belong. I want to be part of this family. And so I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward, the band to come up. I'm going to pray, and we'll come to the table together. So God, thank you so much for today. Thank you, God. I just find myself like overwhelmed and grateful that long ago, you would have a mysterious plan that would include me. The God that today I can stand here as someone who can believe and know and say this is true. And that this act of humility is not humiliating because God, through you, as, I, as we come to the table, as we come before you, Although it's an act of humility, God, it's also an incredible act of love as we remember that you died for us, to forgive us, to redeem us and renew us. You died for us to make us family. You died for us to make us one. And so, Lord, no matter where we're at today, and no matter our yesterday, God, you invite us to the table today to receive and believe. Some of us, taking communion for the hundredth time and some coming to the table for the first time as an act of saying, I'm part of the family because of the blood and because of the body of Jesus Christ. So we come before you today. God, we say we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash railcity to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.